Hey guys, what's going on? It is the 13th Wiki Game Guides Comcast, and I'm Simon Wu, and Alex Miller is back this week from his travels. What's up, everybody? We're glad to have you back, and glad that uh, John Phoenix could step in last week when it was needed, and we'll probably be seeing much more of him in the near future. Yeah, I'd just real quick like to say uh, thanks to John for uh, picking up a little bit of the slack there. I was uh, obviously away and uh, unable to make it, so I'd just like to thank him for that. And as Simon says, uh, I think we're going to be working him in uh, to a couple more things. You guys have seen him writing on the short takes now and again, so just another uh, community member who's uh, decided to help us out a bit more. So, yeah, thanks a lot. All right, let's start our community callback segment with Solifluxion. I really wish I could erase my memories of playing Mass Effect 3 without the extended cut DLC. It would make the whole game seem more complete. By the way, once again, a great podcast. I really like how reliable you are in terms of timing. And that's our goal. We tried to get it as regular as possible. Really, only extremely extenuating circumstances would make us miss it. And, I don't know, you've opened up an entirely new can of worms by talking about the extended cut DLC, whether it improved the game or not. I know plenty of people at this point, like John Phoenix said, last year uh last podcast said you know what just stop feeding us changes to the ending we'll we'll just take the ending how it was originally so who knows yeah but at the same time that point uh brings up the question was the game rushed so who knows i do agree with soul flexion that with the extended cut dlc it does sort of round it out a little bit more, make it a, a more complete ending. Obviously not the ending that many of the fans wanted, but I get the feeling that if that was what we had been originally presented with, there would have been would not have been the same hue and cry that went up because of the way they presented and sort of tied up their series. So next, from last week's short takes... Mr. John Tarr said, I'm really excited for Wreck-It Ralph. Both trailers have blown me away. Such a great concept for a movie, and the huge crossover of different major IPs must have been a p- huge pain in the ass for the lawyers to sort out. But such a great touch. Reminds me of who framed Roger Rabbit. And I'd just like to say, I completely agree with John. I'm super excited for this movie. Just from all the video game crossovers to the people actually in it, I think it's going to be a legitimately funny movie, and it looks entertaining. And just the fact that, once again, we're seeing video games moving into the mainstream, I think it's it's moving out of that niche culture, and you know, it's just another example of Simon what we've been talking about of moving towards the mainstream and seeing these examples where it's much more palatable to a wider audience. Right, and as I mentioned in the short takes, uh, the way I think their delivery mechanism was uh, was very clever because if they did it any other way, um, it would kind of be it would seem like it was optional. And what I mean by that is they got Disney to do it, which, as I I think I believe direct quote would have the effect of brute forcing it nicely into a mainstream audience by virtue of the fact that it is. Disney releasing this. So a name that's universally 
acknowledged by parents and children as something that you probably want to go watch. Yep, so hopefully it will uh, it'll do well, and hopefully it lives up to the hype. And uh, next we have an email saying, Hey guys, I've been listening to the past few podcasts, and I'm really appreciating the single-focus effort you guys put into it. My thoughts on OnLive are a bit different from yours. In my opinion, there is an even more dark horse candidate for purchasing OnLive than Apple. That company would be Amazon. I watched the Kindle Fire HD announcement, and besides the bargain basement prices they set compared especially to the iPad, the other primary feel you get is that it's just a conduit for all of Amazon's services. Its special section of the Google Play Market, its Prime Video, its own music, its own Kindle books, etc. Apple already, as we discussed, has a gaming aspect to their ecosystem. So while beneficial, it's not critical for them. However, Amazon, as one could see from the announcement, is working to put as much distance from themselves and association with Google or Android as possible. It was only mentioned once, and the engineers have done their best to cover over Android. Their own gaming service adds another solid tenant to a company already associated with the streaming and online content, and gives it increasing independence as yet another potential viable platform, especially since the Fire right now is the only meaningful competition to the iPad. And so, uh, thank you, sir, for that very good analysis that was one that we completely missed uh, in our last podcast, and that does have substantial merit to it, and I think that commentary, that extensive commentary, reflects very well on the caliber of our listeners and the Wiki Game Guide's audience as very informed about what's going on, able to do the same kind of analysis we see here. Yeah, and this is the this is exactly the kind of email we like to get because it's just bringing in something else that we haven't thought about, just another view, another way of looking at things, just incorporating in. It's just it, it works out well. So that's uh, all we have for this week from the community. Now, if you want to contribute, um, you can send us an email at game-insight at outlook.com. You could follow uh, me or Alex on Twitter. That's WGG underscore SW for me underscore RAM for him. Yeah, and just to, to clear that up, it's WGG underscore RAM for myself. We both have that prefix on our Twitter handles. And uh, our, our website, GameInsight.org, has a neat uh, and easy contact us form. And you can leave a comment below as always. So now we're going to move on to our first interstitial, which is the Dixical segment. Uh, I know you've been traveling, Alex, but have you had any time to play a video game in in the meantime? Just recently I had a a little bit of free time, so I was able to sit down and actually uh, download the FIFA 13 demo on the PC. And uh, luckily, being uh, the gamer that I am, I had a wired... Xbox controller with me, so I was able to play it in the format I was used to, and uh, tried that out. First time I've ever played a, a sports game on a computer, but uh, it was an interesting experience. It was fun for a little bit. I didn't play that long, but it was uh, it was nice to sit down and uh, and get a game in amongst all the the, the hectic nature of uh, travel today. By the way, I'd like to ask: uh, were, when you plugged in that wired Xbox controller, did the controls map? very closely to the Xbox. This is kind of like the debate and discussion that we've been having for some time now. Well, with uh, with FIFA 13, they mapped exactly. And actually, they had a, an Xbox controller up on, on the thing 
on the in the menu when you're configuring a gamepad. So it, it was a, a one-to-one perfect match. All right, and just another example of the industry matching our recommendations. I'm sure that they're listening to this podcast with bated breath for good ideas. Yeah, exactly. I think we're, we're the ones feeding them all their innovation, I suppose. So I'm disappointed in myself because I basically dropped my Fallout New Vegas playthrough for the time being, and I know that it's going to be a while till I pick that up again. But uh, unlike the Mass Effect uh, Insanity playthrough that I was going through, which also kind of fell by the wayside, that was because I'd already played it six times over and I knew exactly what I was doing. With this one, I felt like um, you know there's too many other things new things coming out and that leads me into saying what I've been playing which is uh, Black Mesa so for those of you that don't know uh, Black Mesa is the community made source uh, I guess refresh of the original Half-Life Valve's original Half-Life and it's basically uh, Black Mesa is to Half-Life what Halo Anniversary is to Halo like all of the graphics and the sounds and everything has been lovingly redone and retextured but the crazy thing about it is and you can tell that it's a valve game because it was entirely done by the fans as a mod and uh it's available now for free to download so i don't see any reason why you shouldn't uh try it out sounds fun with that said we're going to move on to our first topic of today which is um Persistently obtrusive, the death of persistent DRM. Alex? Yeah, well, this is uh, just something that I've noticed, especially during uh, my travels. But as I was, uh, I was reading an article last week where Ubisoft revealed that uh, they've actually quietly been pulling back from their persistent DRM, that always-on, internet-required authentic- authentication system that they had for most of their games, or rather I should say all of their games, I believe, where they would have to connect to a Ubisoft server. Actually, I just used both names there. Sorry, Ubisoft server to make sure that both the game was legally purchased, activated, whatever. And it was a huge pain, and you know, it's nice to know that they pulled back from that. However, they still require a one-time activation for the game where you have to have the internet on, you have to sign into the server, do all those things. And while it's nice that they've pulled back from where they were, it's not enough, I think. And especially the fact that many others are much worse. I mean, you look at Steam. This is something that's been particularly frustrating for me while I've been traveling, is that Steam requires you to be online in order to play a game that you've purchased. You paid money for the game, you downloaded it, you did all these things, but in order to actually play it, you have to have a connection to Steam servers. Unless, and this is, this is you know, their, their little way around it is, if you can foresee the fact that you will not have internet, then you can set yourself to offline mode when you're already connected to the internet so that the next time you start, you can start up and offline. But it's a hassle, and if you don't know about it ahead of time, then you're just locked out of your games until you can get a solid internet connection. And I mean, for most people, if you're if you suddenly lose connection to the internet, that's not something you planned. And so, I just it's it's kind of frustrating to lose something that you've purchased. 
Right, and uh, this was on the weekend short takes, so another example of us bringing in an issue once it's had some time to sit and for us to really uh, dig through it. And as we said during that discussion, having so many layers of DRM only punishes the people who buy it legitimately, right? You're going to, okay, I just bought the game. Great, I paid tons of money just for me to have to enter the validation code. Okay, and then submit to, like, the internet check every time. And if I just, as Alex said, forgot to set it to offline mode or maybe don't even have that luxury, I can't believe I'm calling it a luxury, you know, I'm well and truly screwed for the duration of this entire transatlantic flight wonderful so as whereas i could just torn it off the pirate bay a few hours if that and then have it completely hassle free right and ubisoft i think did the right thing by doing this i said or in response to the article that that might help a little bit with increasing purchases from people who see it no longer as a hassle as in they've removed kind of all these hoops that you have to jump through. But uh, yeah, real quick, Simon, I like the idea of gaming on an entire transatlantic flight. I want to know what laptop that can play games has that kind of battery life because I'm definitely interested. But uh, yeah, I mean, all this kind of DRM does is push people away from more legitimate channels because as we've talked about time and time again, people want the easiest possible route, the most convenient route. I mean, look at mobile gaming as an example for that. That's the easiest way to game. And, you know, as a result, it's becoming the most popular way to game. And that's just, it's frustrating. And what it honestly does is it makes pirating, distributing, copyright infringement, whatever you want to call it, it makes it seem okay to people. It, you know, it balances it out. You say, oh, well, people are thinking, oh, well, you know, I purchased this, but I can't use it. So I'll just download it because I already paid for it, right? It's the same thing. And it's just, it's these ways that people convince themselves it's okay and that they're given the means to do that because of the frustration that these systems cause. And I don't know. I mean, I know I say this with, you know, a bit of a twinkle in my eye, you know, this nostalgia full in my heart. But I just, I really miss the days when I was little, when I could go to a store, go to a Best Buy, a Target, whatever you're, your local electronic shop was and buy a PC game, take it home, you know, pull it out of the box, look through the manual, look at all the cool things you're going to be able to do, install it, and then play it. You wouldn't have to do anything else. You didn't have to have internet connection. You didn't have to create an account with some server that you would then have to remember the password for and just jump through, you know, 10... 20 whatever number of hoops just to go through and actually play something you could just go and that was fantastic and i know because of the spread of piracy and the way that internet has popularized sharing and just made it so easy to do that 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 sort of pop and play might not be entirely viable anymore might not be possible i really think if companies tried if they really put the thought the effort and let's, I mean, to be honest, the money into developing a system, I think they could come up with an alternative. I mean, they don't even need to, like, look ahead. They can look back, look at something like CD keys. Those seem to work. I mean, they work back then. 
all you have to do is have one code that matches up with one disk. Now, the issue was, for a while, you just get a key gen. You generate a random key because the keys were all based on, an, you know, some formula that would spit out something. Oh, well, that's within the, you know, correct boundaries. But, I mean, if you could get one that is tied directly to each disk, I mean, you know, make it longer if you need to. But if you can just get, you know, a code that's one-to-one, you know, that would seem to work, I would think. I mean, even if you had to go online to get it, you could get that off of a tablet, off your phone. You wouldn't have to have an internet connection on your laptop so you can get on the server so that could load, so you can download a patch and do all these things that are just frustrating and just really put people off of gaming. And I think it also is going to take a massive shift in the per- our perception, like especially of our generation. Um, it always amuses me and slightly confuses me when I see uh, all these people bemoaning kind of the fall and the death of PC gaming, uh, and they say that with a straight face as they pirate, you know, Diablo 3 or Crisis or whatever. Um, I'm not sure if it can happen, if our brain is now hardwired into the internet generation of, I want it, I want it now, I want it easy, I want it cheap. Cheap meaning, of course, free. Um, That's going to be something that's really hard to correct if it's going to be correctable at all. Um, And I have no idea how it could be, but there's a lot of innovation to be had. And I don't think we're at the end of this debate at all yet. And so hopefully following Ubisoft's lead, uh, we can see some new solutions in the future because right now I think we're in uh, a withdrawal period a withdrawal period from the failed strategies, the strategies that didn't work Right, overloading a game with so many security measures and then these hackers just blew right through them all I think there's going to be an interesting inventive new method and uh, Steam has some potential Right, it has a solid DRM system, albeit with uh, a few kinks, especially the offline system. That is one major flaw. Animated Seven, I completely agree with you. I think Steam, compared to just about everything else, has done it best because if you can foresee that outage, as long as all your games are up to date, you can play them offline, no problem. But it's just the the issue of not being able to access your content. You know, it's right there. It's sitting there. I can look at it. I can click the button to play, but it won't run because of some bizarre reason that, you know, I don't have internet, so I can't access what's already on my computer. It doesn't make sense, but I think that's something that's much more easily fixed than a lot of other studios and developers' uh, methods of it. But, you know, as you said before, hopefully we'll see some innovation. I know I'm going to get a lot of shit for this, especially from the more free-minded PC gamers, but um, I think that consoles have had success because they're a walled garden, because you aren't able to breach that. Uh, sure, you can mod it, but the amount of effort and you can't play off lot online uh, sort of is prohibitive at a layer. And I think that when you have a walled garden like Steam is increasingly being with its own thing and Gabe Newell saying he wants to kind of 
have Valve take their own direction with hardware as well. Um, and you see, to a lesser extent, with Windows 8, um, starting to kind of close down old loopholes and start restricting. I think that actually makes for better gaming because that way it's on the path towards establishing a console-like feel and establishing more restrictions and not allowing hackers to blow through the security measures as easily. So with these first-party solutions like Xbox Marketplace on Windows. Yeah, and I mean, Simon, the Internet for the longest time has been characterized as a sort of Wild West arena where it's sort of everyone out for themselves, do what you can when you can, if you can do it. And that's not the case with consoles. They're much more, as you say, walled garden, much more controlled. And I'm wondering, as we near the, as you could call it, the settling of the West, will civilization bring a much more controlled and a much steadier feel, much steadier playing field for all these games? I think it will. I think it will bring improvement i think you know we might catch some flag for this but i i totally agree with you that as things begin to really bring i guess maybe you could say standardize i think uh standardizing will uh bring some uh some progress and some positives going forward let's uh move on to our second topic of the week uh which is fair dues and so i got this idea from the Wii U officially getting a release date and a price. And I wanted to use this information to sort of start a broader discussion about prices, which are both expected and desired for the Wii U, as well as, more importantly at this juncture, uh, the PS4 and the next Xbox. Um, So I, I think... I speak for a lot of gamers in saying that we pay for, in generally decreasing importance, first the console, then games, possibly an online service, online content like DLC, extra controllers like Connect or Move, then media remotes, then your other random peripherals like a racing wheel or something like that. So my intent here is to do an analysis of uh, the cost at launch, the cost currently, uh, the different types of SKUs that we could see of a future console, what a future price might be, as well as what we'd like it to be. And so I should also say that uh, for the price we'd like it to be, we're not going to be silly and say, oh, they should give it for free or it should be 20 bucks, right? We'll, we'll be reasonable about it and we'll try and justify our recommendations for that. So starting with the Wii... And the Wii U, right? The Wii U's price is going to be $300. And the deluxe version is going to cost $350. Now, the Wii's original price, that's the original Wii's original price, was $250. And it took almost three years for it to get a significant price drop. And so it currently is anywhere between 150 to $200, depending on you know bundles and if it comes with more controllers and the like. We already know what kind of SKUs there will be. There's going to be 
a base model with eight gigabytes of storage, which I think is way too little. And the premium one is black, which is interesting because they their scheme is the reverse of Apple's, and it's going to be thirty two gigabytes. And so it'll also include a subscription to the Nintendo Premium Network. Now, in my mind, the next two points are tied pretty closely together, and that is that the price drop will need to happen very quickly, especially because they've got a one-two punch. The first one is that current-gen consoles, to clear inventory, are probably going to get slashed to previously unforeseen levels. I mean, literally, we see Xbox on contract for $100. I think to get it out there... They might even do, like, 50 free on contract with a two-year subscription to Xbox Live, perhaps? Just an idea, just a thought. And perhaps actually buying an Xbox goes down to $100, right? And so the other punch is that, obviously, the next-gen consoles are going to be released. And so why have this console, which is basically running on, at this point, last-gen's hardware, when you can get this brand-new PS4 or next Xbox with unbelievable graphics instead. And so this is where I think, Alex, we need to start doing a bit of speculation, right? I don't think they can do a price drop in three years' time. They just don't have that much time, right? It's got to be sooner. And I'd expect the prices to drop at least $100 each so that it's $149 and $200 respectively. And uh, maybe a modest spec bump because God knows it's needed because it's the Wii. It's already behind. And taking a page from the smartphone industry, we see a refresh of a phone kind of mid-year with the same body but better specs. Yeah, so I mean, Simon, as you were saying, they just they don't have the time because the whole thing that we has now is that it's out first. There, or the Wii U, I should say. The original Wii did have the, ooh, look, it's motion control. You can wiggle a wand and do stuff, and it was cheap. Even at its original price point, it was cheap for a console. Now, with the higher price point, it's going to be about on par with what we can guess the next generation of consoles are going to be. Obviously, PlayStation 4, as per usual, will be more expensive. Xbox will come in a variety of models for various prices. But no matter what kind of Xbox you get or what kind of PlayStation 4 you get, I 99% sure guarantee you it will be better spec-wise than whatever Wii U you can get your hands on because the Wii U as it has been presented to us now is still just meeting I guess you call it baseline comparisons with the current generation the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3 so I mean they they don't have the time to make that price drop I would expect to see something like that by Christmas honestly just to try and get it out there just market penetration just get as many units sold as they possibly can because they're not going to make a profit off the console they need to understand that and they need to just get as many things out there so they can try and make it back on software
Right. And there's another thing to be said here, which is that they have decided to make the second screen standard, right? Now, of course, we absolutely know they're going, they've already said they're going to sell the Pro Controller, which is basically like a classic handheld uh, gamepad, which I might add looks very suspiciously like an Xbox 360 controller, right? That's going to cost you extra, whereas I... I have reasonable confidence that the next Xbox is going to include Connect. So you have the motion bit and you have the gamepad. That's all standard. For this, it's all going to be extra. On top of that $250, $300 you're spending. Not to mention that if you're going to do some sort of multiplayer gaming with the new Wii U experience and these tablet pads, you're going to buy two or three or, God forbid, four of them because you're going to have friends over. And how much is that going to cost? And then to have the Wii Factor, which is they sit there collecting dust until you have a party and you use them for a few hours and then it goes away again. And remember, the game, the cost of games is going to be 60 bucks, up $10 from the original Wii, so now we have parity pricing with the PS3 and the Xbox 360. Yeah, that was another one of the benefits that the Wii had, is that even though it wasn't much, it did have cheaper games than the 360, than the PlayStation 3, and as it moves towards, as you, I think your word parity, I think that's a good one, as it moves to that same level in terms of pricing, it doesn't seem to be matching that increase with, uh, I guess you could say, the comparative spec jumps. So I'm, I'm not entirely sure what they're thinking as far as that goes. Uh, it'll be yet to, basically yet to be seen, but um, we're going to move to the Xbox 360, which uh, I think we're really getting a glimpse back in history. Um, and it's really interesting to see because if you'll recall the xbox 360 was originally launched for 300 dollars, and that was for the stupid core edition which just came with i believe was either a 256 meg or a 512 meg memory stick that you plugged in the stupid slot on the front that was never used for anything else and 400 dollars for the premium model which came with a 20-gig hard drive, right? I think that really shows the true age of this device. Seven coming up on eight years old. And um, really, those we said earlier, I think the memory stick is something they should get rid of immediately because I get 512, 256 meg flash drives for free in buckets these days. And the first price drop came almost two years after launch, they were down to 249 and 349 respectively, so they lost uh, $50 each. Now, throughout the life cycle, we've had multiple spec bumps. Obviously, the most uh, substantial being the conversion to the Xbox Slim, as well as increases in hard drive, right? From 20 to 60 to 160 to 250 to now. I believe the upper limit that you can get custom is 320. So 
our current point, where we stand right now is the 250-gigabyte model is $300, and a 4-gigabyte version is $200. Now, with all that said, I expect that the new Xbox will end up costing these price points with the much-improved specs, probably 60 gigabytes of storage for the low end of SKU, maybe 320 for the upper end. That could remain constant, I'm not sure. But I also expect, as I said before, Connect to be bundled. And I say this because Microsoft realizes what Sony, uh, Nintendo, excuse me, I believe, doesn't. That the hardware is nothing these days. Hardware is just the conduit for all the services, taking a page out of Amazon's book, as our uh, keen uh, listener mentioned. It, it's just to get you the Xbox Marketplace. And for Microsoft, that's also Xbox Music and Video, which is the rebranded Zune, uh, Bing Search, Netflix, Hulu, so on and so forth. Right? They want to get this box in as many people's hands as possible. And the reason I say that they need to up the storage from 4 to 60 is all we're doing now is downloading games, downloading DLC, downloading videos, movies, etc. And so you're going to have to have the storage to back that up. And so this is kind of my justification for kind of where I expect it to be. You can differ from me. Uh, submit that in the comment if you like. Yeah, but I mean, I think sort of transitioning into the, the software portion you're talking about there, I think game prices in this next version, especially for the uh, the Xbox, need to be much more fluid. Uh, you could say less less strict and and uh, less rigid in their pricing because, as we've seen, they've they've sort of kept at that sixty dollar price point. Doesn't matter if it's game of the year quality game or just some crappy refresh of some old idea. It's always going to cost that same amount at launch, and no you know no matter what the content or how much of it there is. So hopefully, as we especially with more games on demand, being able to download and stream certain things. We'll see more microtransactions, you know, in a, you know, a computer-esque kind of way, you know, an online gaming way we see where, you know, you pay a little bit up front and then add to it as time goes on and, you know, other models like that. Right, because free-to-play is here. It's here big. And Microsoft finally took their first steps towards maybe admitting that it is here because Xbox got its first uh, free-to-play game. And I think that in response to that, they have a very clean slate starting with the next generation of consoles. They say, okay, here's what went wrong on pricing with 360, right? Things were static for too long. Game prices were too high. We didn't have a variety of price points for that reflected the true quality of the game. Prices didn't decline as fast as we'd hoped for. Let's start over. We can start fresh. We can make different tiers of games, right, as Alex, you just said. We can make the ones that are really successful go to platinum hits and best of platinum hits faster. And so that way, that's a very organic way for us to let the price decrease 
for popular games as well as a way for us to save face on that by saying, oh, it's just so good that we want more people to experience it, as well as really revamping how they're thinking about the Xbox marketplace online, where you see Steam having fire sales, five bucks for a game, but on Xbox it's still ten bucks. That's never, ever going to change. And I don't expect Xbox Live Gold prices to go down either, uh, nor do I expect any peripherals to go down, because the controllers, you know, we've all bought them for 60 bucks roundabout. Xbox Live Gold, 60 bucks a year, we all know that. Although, on Amazon, you can get it as low as $32. I've gotten Xbox Live Gold for a year for as low as $32. Not sure if that's what's currently happening, but check it out. And if you do find a good deal, use the Amazon links on the bottom of every page of Wiki Game Guides. All right, moving on to the PlayStation. And I do definitely believe that if we saw something that was just nostalgic about the pricing of the Xbox, we're going to remember how ludicrous the PlayStation pricing was. Alex? Yeah, well, I think we all remember the uh, the jokes and the, the, the pointing and laughing at Sony for just the absurdity of the price tag that they put out for their original clunky, massive, heavy PlayStation 3. Because the first version with 20 gigabytes memory they were selling for $500. And even though it had a, it had a Blu-ray player, and, I mean, the specs were still relatively on par with an Xbox, they were charging you out the door for it. I mean, and if you wanted to get more storage up to just 60, and as you said, Simon, this is this is kind of dating it, that 60 was the the, the roof as far as maximum storage went you would have to pay $600 for that device. I mean, that's it's bizarre. To be fair to them, they did quickly change, and they actually had the, the quickest price drop of any of the three consoles of the... I guess it's still the current generation. I mean, they dropped the 60 version down $100 to break into 500 but still, it was... a about twice as expensive as an Xbox for the longest time. Yeah, and this is why I feel that we see the numbers again. Xbox, top U.S. seller for 20 straight months as of August. I'm pretty confident that it's going to be the top seller again this month. Now, October, we don't know, because that's when, pre I believe, pre-orders for the Wii U finally get delivered wii u hits the street and it might be able to top it we'll see but ps3 lost this round of the console fight and so sony's going to look to that they're going to see what did we do wrong here we can start over just like microsoft we have a chance to correct what was wrong okay what was wrong prohibitively expensive out the door we made it way too hard to manufacture, right? We tried to, I think, break even on hardware sales, which, again, as we established, 
being a conduit for services now is absolutely the wrong approach to take. Yeah, consoles are always going to be lost leaders. That's just the name of the game. But as you said, Simon, they've made them hard to develop. They're also they were very hard to develop for, because I, I remember Valve a little awkwardly now. But before their partnership, I remember uh, Valve was talking about how difficult it was to develop for the PlayStation platform, and that they're not the only developers who have said that. It's just it seems to be the quite common uh, word in the industry is that PlayStation of this generation of uh, consoles is the most difficult to develop for. The current 160 gigabyte model, which kind of slots between what's available on the 360, it now costs a much more understandable $250. But again, it took far too long for that to happen. And so in terms of anticipating what we might see the PlayStation 4 cost, I'd expect nothing less than it to be at parity or a markup of 50 or so dollars like we see with the Wii U for a significant spec increase, but nothing like the absolute balloon that the last one was. That is if they do that again, I I don't know what I'll do. Yeah, though to be fair, Simon, that would be the answer that makes sense. It's not necessarily the answer that is going to happen because Sony, as we know, are more likely than not going to charge more for it and will try, despite what everyone knows, to try and approach breaking even on the console. So who knows what's going to happen. Right, and a similar approach to the games as well for uh, the PS4, as we mentioned, for what should be uh, the case for the Xbox V Next, which is that games need to become more dynamic. They need to stop having everything at a flat rate of $60, and they need to improve their cloud offering or their online offering much more. We saw this week with news that Sony is going to up the cloud storage to, I believe, a gigabyte from the current 160 megabytes that it currently is. So that way you have more space online as well for storage and that sort of thing. But as for the peripherals, I'm not really sure where Move is right now. It's kind of in a state of flux because it lost so badly to the Kinect in the U.S. at least, and they kind of were shell-shocked by that. They, this year, stepped away from that. All it was, uh, Move basically amounted to Wonder Book this year for Sony, which I believe is going to be another thing that flops pretty hard. If we remember in our E3 podcast discussion with Dan, not even parents think it's interesting for kids. Um, so... It's going to be hard to say because, on the one hand, as you said, Alex, we know what Sony needs to do to stay competitive. We know where they should aim. We know that they have the capability. They're not Nintendo, as in they're not just a company that relies solely on video games to exist. They have TVs, phones, computers, tablets, blah, 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 right? They can take a loss on the PlayStation. In fact, with their current strategy, I believe they have been taking a loss. So they need to revamp the strategy. Only problem is we've seen companies like Sony be really stubborn 
about their current strategy and just staying the course no matter what and getting, I think, rightfully punished for not trying to change. And so it's a it's an interesting story, and as more develops, we'll definitely be following it. But right now we're going to move on to our Game Minder Rare Daniel segment where we talk about um, what's coming out that we'll be excited to play in the next two weeks. So this is going to be a look at games coming out before we record the next podcast. So, And as we said before, the uh, fall launch season's really starting to pick up pace. We're going to see some big games about to come out. Yeah, so over the next couple podcasts, you guys are going to see many more AAA titles than uh, we've seen in, in the last couple podcasts. But first on my list, Torchlight 2. Now, for any of you who don't know what Torchlight was, it was a action RPG. It was sort of in a Diablo style, where it's the dungeon crawler, looking down sort of style, click and move kind of thing. It was available on Steam, and I've played a little bit of it. I had uh, quite a lot of fun. I love games in that genre. I don't know if you had any time to play it, Simon. Um, I had I played a little bit of it, and uh, I got the feeling that it was a very good game. That it was very well written, and it had a very good art style. The only problem was the plot didn't have a whole lot of depth to it, which I think was a very common uh, reception to it. Yeah, but I th- I'm pretty sure Simon it wasn't. It was a fifteen dollar game, I think. So it was uh, it was something that was very well engineered, tightly scripted, and uh, from a development stance, very well done, and I'm excited to see uh, perhaps a little bit more uh, buzz about it. Maybe some more production dollars. See what uh, what can come out of that. That is going to be landing on Steam on the 20th. Now, um, Alex, here we go. FIFA 13 comes out on a slew of platforms, console and mobile alike, and all the football action will be uh coming to you on september 25th i am giddy with anticipation uh but seriously no fifa is one of my favorite series of games it has been for quite a long time just because it is designed well they add new features in just about every year that you know keeps it refreshing enough that you don't feel like you're playing the same thing every time but it's still familiar enough that you can pick up and play and just have a, a really good time with it so i'm uh, i'm looking forward to that all right and so that's the podcast we'd like you to help contribute to us uh comment below send us an email that's game insight at outlook.com follow us on twitter wgg underscore swu or wgg underscore ram and um yeah, we'd really appreciate it. iTunes, five-star review, uh, things like that. And so, signing off for today, uh, I'm Simon Wu. Yep, and uh, I'm Alex Miller. Thanks for having me back on, guys. And uh, hopefully not going to be missing any more uh, in the episodes to come. So, yeah, thanks for listening, and, yeah, see you next time.